Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Good evening. It's Wednesday, Horns and Hump Night, and tonight um got kind of a weird thing going on. It's going to be a lot of Jason Anki, which is great. Uh, we've got a replay of a show uh, from his his with uh, Jenna Beach uh, talking about her her book that she that came out about a year ago, and after that, it'll be me. Pam Kelly, live with Jason Mankey and Laura uh, Tempest-Zarkoff, talking about their new book, which I have right in front of me. I, You're going to love this. This is like the perfect Yule gift for almost anyone in the craft. Uh, the Witch's Altar, the Craft, Lore, and Magic of Sacred Space. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Also, you can call in if you're listening live. You can call in um, or come into the chat room and ask your questions. If not, you know, you could probably reach us pretty easily. Jason and uh, Tempest are on Facebook. So am I, Pam Kelly. Uh, And then always uh, reach out to the Pagans Tonight Radio Network page, too, for your, you know, if you have any questions or any uh, ideas for for future shows or just want to say hi we're here for you and we're here every other wednesday night with raise the horns radio and pamit's porch so i'm going to play this replay this again came from about a year ago with jace mankey and jenya beach talking about her book and then after that it's going to be uh jason live pam live tempest live and talking about the new book which is alter so thanks for joining us tonight whether you're live or archived we're glad to be uh we're pagans unite on pagans tonight it's a wednesday night i don't know that means it's time possibly for raise the horns radio when i get around to this show my name is jason i blog at a place called raise the horns and I run this imaginatively titled radio slash podcast show called Raise the Horns. I'm supposed to broadcast two times a month. Lately, it's been like once a month, and I'm really super sorry for that. I've just been super busy. You know what that's like. You've probably also been super busy because, you know, our lives are super busy. But I was finishing a book, so excited about it. It's going to be called The Five Mysteries of Witchcraft or something, and will be out in about a year. So you have something to look forward to over the next 13 months until my book is out. Speaking of my books, my second and a half book, because I co-wrote it with somebody, Laura Templis-Zakroff is the person I co-wrote it with, our book, The Witch's Altar, will be out in November. And you can actually pre-order it on Amazon right now. It's very exciting. It's, it's, I still have these like little weird pinch me moments. Like, oh my God, they let me write a book. What is wrong with these people? They let me put my name on a book and then they're going to send it to stores. And I'm going to end up making dozens and dozens and dozens of dollars on it. So, you know, the pagan publishing world is big. It's really, really big. So there's that. Good to be here. I've got some scotch lined up. I've got a fabulous guest tonight 
one of my favorite people in the entire world. I mean, you know, there's billions of people in the world. Genya T. Beachy is in my, like, top 100 people in the world. So it's really very, very good, I think. Isn't that, isn't it good? I mean, it's that's good. good. Top 100. It's I mean, very good. I mean, considering, <laughs> you know, there's family that has to be in there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, people maybe you went to school with. Top 100 mm-hmm. is, is really good. I, mean, I, I feel good about that. I have 2,500 Facebook friends. So, I mean, top 100 of that is pretty good. And I've even met some of those people. <laughs> true it's true so how are you jenya it's so good to talk to you it's been i haven't seen you like in almost a month um everything is going very well and also super busy like you i you know my book is just out and so i am heading into the time of appearances and festivals and doing a lot of traveling in support of the book and uh, as you know that is uh, takes up a lot of time and money it's a lot of money. It's like not even equal to what you'll make on the book, which, you know, I hope I don't make you cry. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was warned ahead of time. But, but, you know, the way that I look at it, I, am, I, I, I consider myself a teacher who also wrote a book rather than a writer who teaches occasionally. So that works out well for me because um, the book is sort of a uh, – consolidation of the things that I felt were most important to put out there as a spiritual journey, a spiritual path or working. And so when people get the book, they know what my ideas are. They know what my policy is. (laughs) They know (laughs) that, um, that that's the kind of stuff I'm going to teach. And so if, if reading the book helps people, on their individual journeys or helps them to know that they would like me to help them on their individual <laughs> journeys, then we're golden. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think for me, I've always thought of myself as just sort of a, like a, a gadfly who talks a lot first and then maybe a lecturer <laughs> and then a writer last. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of things to talk about tonight because we've got the book, We've got all the things that you're going to be doing, the teaching, um, festivals, processes, and stuff. Start at the beginning. What is the secret country of yourself? You knew I was going to ask that. So, Well, I'm glad you asked me that because I have a very good answer. But did you know that I wrote a book? You could read my book and find out all the answers. I've read your book, but people have probably (laughs) not. Oh, so funny. Okay, Um, so the secret country of yourself, essentially, the simplest version of it is that the secret country of of yourself is your personal internal landscape. So a lot of people, especially pagans, come to, um, as a part of their training, are taught to go to this place. We come to the happy place, the safe place, the, the place of ease and and comfort in our meditations and then from there we move out 
into connection with deity or other spirits or or it could be anything depending on your path but a lot of paths have sort of that place what's what's the beginning place and so when I was along my own path of the past 30 years I worked a lot with the idea of that safe place with that sanctuary and it became clear to me after a while that the sanctuary uh, wasn't the only place and it was there were other places there that I had not been led to yet that were calling out for exploration so so to put it succinctly the secret country of yourself is that space inside of you where your dreams and your visions come from where your psychic hits come from where your ideas come from you know if you're sitting on the bus and you notice somebody who's just kind of staring blankly off into space they're probably in their secret country (laughs) (laughs) doing doing whatever um so that's that's basically the gist of it is that it's this this internal place where you can purposefully engage with things in your life that you have either found challenging or beautiful or abundant or difficult and you can explore those places and those ideas and those relationships in a way that you might not be able to in what I like to call the shared reality the waking world mundania no, the world isn't really that. <laughs> I agree. Now, the world is not at all. It, th- this is a really unique book. You know, I mean, I get Llewellyn sends me other books. Wiser sends me other books now. I mean, and a lot of them are just sort of like how-to pagan books and that sort of thing. Is this even a pagan book? I mean, it, it is really sort of a different thing that could be applied to a lot of different spiritualities. Yes, absolutely. It could be. And you know, I, when I was writing the book, found was that, you know, there, there are, are already a lot of books that are ready to take you into um, however people want to define it, whether it's a location on the astral plane or the overworld or the underworld. And it's very well defined and there's already a map and, you know, they, they, they encourage you to follow the map and go to the places that are you know, sacred to their particular worldview. And what I found was that all of that is awesome and all of that is very trad-specific. And so what I'm doing here is creating something that is not at all trad-specific. And in fact, it's not even really important to me whether you're a theist or an atheist or a polytheist or any of those things because anything that you already have in your spiritual life, you bring it into the secret country so that when you come into a connection with a, a God or some other spirit there, it's like you come into it with the, the, the rituals and the, the way of connecting that you have developed in the shared reality. So absolutely a person who was Christian could work with these ideas a person who is you know hindu a person who is you know completely non-religious you know you could work with the whole book as a psychologist and just inviting people to move into these places in themselves and to connect with these uh you know with the shadow house and with the school and the temple and and through all of these things develop a deeper understanding of their 
psychological self. I mean, I can see Buddhists working with it pretty easily. I think a lot of Christians would have difficulties just because a lot of them have their heads up their asses. But I didn't say that out loud. I don't really have to worry about it because they're probably not listening to the show. I love that. There's like a freedom that doesn't happen with writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Agreed. So, well, well, they would have to be pretty progressive Christians. Yeah. But I mean, it's, but it really, it's, you know, uh, reading it, it's something that could be applied to a lot of different spiritualities. So I, you know, you have to be pretty progressive and open, I think. Mm-hmm. I've read kind of a criticism of the book online and I don't, they haven't even read the book, but a friend of mine had, had posted a quote from your book, you know, and this person posts mm-hmm. quotes from uh, Starhawk and lots of other inspirational people. So, I mean, I was like, wow, Genia, kick ass, you know, because <laughs> he's never quoted me. And um, so he's a part of a book group and the person in charge of the book group, was like, is this a self-help book? I don't want to do self-help books in our reading group. And I was like, it's not a self-help book. It's just not a Wicca mm-hmm. 101 book, you know, or, you know, a, a Wicca book or something or a witchcraft book. But then I, I thought, wow, what a great question. Is this a self-help book? Um, you could help yourself by working through this book if you chose to. Right. I mean, the, I I feel like the thing that, that separates what I'm doing from a quote unquote new age, quote unquote light worker, quote unquote self-help is that there is an understanding that there's a deeper foundation to all of these things and that there is it's self-knowledge that is the key that opens all of the doors. And I don't promise anything. I'm not, telling people to, you know, work this program and you'll be healed. But I can say, if you work through this book, you are sure to know yourself way better at the end than you did at the beginning. And if that helps yourself, then yes, <laughs> it's a <laughs> self-help book. Um, but, you know, personally, I've, I, I have been uh, out of reading self-help books and or pagan books for a while um, because I'm not, it's like, I, I want that something new. I want that something that is, that is fresh and a different idea and a different way of approaching it. And so this is what came through me as I was engaging with that stuff. But I will say that I did read your book, Jason. Which one? Which one? Yours was the, the one. <laughs> oh my gosh. So many books. I know, there's like two. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, the Athame book. Well, it's because you were in there. I mean, you had to. You were, like, well, legally obligated to read it. You were in there twice. Yes, that's true. I mean, And I was so pleased. I was, I was so thankful because I had, like, nothing to say. So anytime <laughs> I, anybody else could write something, that was less than I had to do. Also, I think you were the last thing I, in the book, really. Almost, just because yeah. I like yeah. I like your writing. It's just it's just different, you know. Thank I mean, you. it is it's more personal and stuff. You come, I I adore you. A lot of people who are guests on the show 
people who listen to the show know that they're friends of mine and stuff. And, you know, Jenny is in a ritual, you know, she and I are in a ritual together in two or three weeks or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've known each other for seven years now, I think we're, we're really different practitioners and your background is extremely different than my own. You know, just reading the introduction of your book when, you know, you were, you know, acknowledging that you were influenced by Seth Speaks. And I'm like, holy shit snacks, you were influenced by Seth Speaks. And, you know, so it's really it's different. So I, I yes, want to talk about some of, I want to talk about uh, some of your influences, especially on, you know, I like talking about fairy because it's very fascinating to me, but in a lot of places, it's just not a thing like it is on the West Coast. So it is yes. sort of a different place. Yes. And I think the challenge about fairy trad in general is that for each person who is practicing it, at least for the the prominent teachers of the trad, they all have a very, very individual approach. And so when I was teaching within the tradition, what I was teaching was, you know, it was 180 degrees from what Storm Fairy Wolf is teaching. You know, Storm is amazing. He's an incredible magician and he has incredible teachings. I'm so glad that he wrote a book. He's writing another book about fairy trad, Um, but he has a very, very ceremonial approach. And my approach was more like, let's go play with some dirt (laughs) and see if we meet any, any spirits. Um, So, so yeah, I'm much, I've always been much looser about the trappings um, than maybe other people have. And when I first met other witches in, when I moved to California, um, the first witches that I met were a group of very eclectic folks, but there were at least two of them, including the person that I was in relationship with, um, who were Gardnerian. And so I, I was sort of, that was kind of my doorway to public witchery was the the gardenarian you know the beginning well you know calgard he was gonna say there's there's some issues there (laughs) we won't talk about them too much they already don't like me but that's it's cool okay all right cool so anyway there was um you know that was sort of my introduction to working with other human beings and and there was a lot of beauty in that and also I I was actually able to remember large chunks of things at that time in my young life, um, you know, and and I still admire that sort of um, you know that sort of approach where people they we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago everybody turns in the same direction everybody holds the same hand up everybody does the other thing with their other hand and it's very um, it's very practiced and it's very graceful. And it's very effective. And also, I just know that's not that's not <laughs> yeah. my way. That's not how I do it. So you moved out to California and found witchcraft. Did you think of yourself as a witch before the move? And I guess it's also important to kind of recognize that you, like me, spent a lot of time in the American South. So, you know, we have a little bit of uh, sweet tea within us. Still, I think. <laughs> but now we have sweet tea vodka, so that's uh, better no. than what we had when we were children. No. <laughs> well, <I'm> yeah, <laughs> would be. Uh, so when I 
I first, um, you know, frankly, I first became interested in witchcraft when I was in like, I mean, witchcraft by the name of witchcraft when I was in like middle school. And that was because I had moved a bunch of times when I was a kid and I was always the new kid and everybody was always picking on me. And I was, um, I was a very sensitive child and I got super angry and I was like, how can I hurt these fuckers? (laughs) And (laughs) if we're being, we're being honest with each other. So that was my first, uh, interest in witchcraft like what can I do to make my life better and also make other people's lives worse and um, that didn't work out very well you know I didn't really dig into it far enough to uh, you know start with any bad workings or the like which I'm grateful for now because I feel like I could have gotten myself into a bunch more trouble than I did Um, but by the time I was in high school, I was reading Spiral Dance. And then I was like, oh, this is an actual thing that actual people do. And, and California is the actual place where all of it is happening. I had done a self-dedication, and I had, I had talked to one other human on the planet about witchcraft and being Wiccan. And she was very supportive and very lovely about it. And so in... Uh, well, it wasn't because of her, but anyway, it was just nice to talk to another person about it. And was the Spiral Dance your first book then? Uh oh, we've lost we've lost the signal. No. I can't hear Jenya. Don't know if she can hear me. This is problematic. It's one of those things, you know. Live radio, seat of your pants, you never know exactly what's going to happen. And apparently we are there right now. Not knowing what's going to happen. And there it is. I've lost a Jenny. That's what's going on. It's okay. I am sure that she will be back in just a second. Apparently her headset died. I just assumed it was me. I always assume it's me. So while I wait for the return of our guest, Jenny Beachy, I thought I would talk a little bit about a friend of mine who wrote an article called Things That Ruin Occult podcasts, and I thought we would check in to see if I'm doing all of those things and ruining this podcast for all of you, my listeners out there. So thank you, Matt Oren, for reminding me of these things. So the first thing Matt says that annoys him about podcast hosts is that the interview insists on flaunting their knowledge of a subject instead of allowing the guests to discuss the subject they were invited on the show to discuss. I'm going to hope that I don't do that, mostly because I don't really know anything. So I don't have a whole lot of knowledge flaunt, unless unless you just want to have a long history talk. That's about all I can do. So I think I'm safe there. When the interviewer has no knowledge of the subject or or the the guest's work, I usually know people. 
think I usually know everybody who's been on the show. I have had a couple of guests that I thought were going to be really great guests, and then they just don't like to talk. So that is difficult. That's not really on me. That doesn't mean that I was ill-prepared. Number three, the host is boring as hell. I don't think I'm boring. I might not be sober, but I'm not boring. There are some interviewers that I completely space out on while listening to because they don't sound excited or engaged with the interviewee or the conversation. You probably shouldn't have a podcast if you don't know how to hold a stimulating conversation. I would say that we all kind of have those moments where things, where we don't seem to have the best conversations, but I think I do okay. I think I do okay. So, continuing Matt's thing, the, the interviewer is locked into their mindset, beliefs, or position. This turns podcasts into a one-way conversation. I love hearing about how other people do things. That's probably my favorite thing about this whole show is how other people do things. Because that, to me, is interesting. So I don't think I'm locked in. This is really good, Matt. This is like a good checkup on myself. The interviewer who wants to go on and on about themselves, taking up most of the time of the interview. I probably do this. I love to talk about me. Did you know I have another book coming out in November and then one after that again in February? Ooh, I could talk about me for hours, but I won't. At least I probably won't. And sweet, I seem to have Jenny back, but because I want to finish this whole thing, we're going to finish this stupid, like, how terrible Jason is as a host thing that I'm working on. And then Jenny can chime in and tell me how awful I am. Hosts that don't promote the works of their interviewee. I think that that's like one of the whole points of having somebody on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Authors in particular, according to Matt, tend to be introverted people despite a persona that they're displaying. Do you think that's true for you? Are you naturally introverted? Um, I... I think in every test that I've ever done, I come out half and half. Yeah. I'm actually introverted. Because I, so nobody believes it. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. Yeah. I think you've seen me look awkward before. I have definitely seen you look awkward before. Yeah. I'm, my, my story is that if I am uh, either – on stage or behind a microphone or some in, in some other form separated from a group of people, then I can be entertaining, I can be interesting, and I can be energized by my interactions with people. But if I'm at a party and I'm having conversations with each other, with other people at the party, then that is very hard for me. I, I agree. I think that's the toughest thing. Because, I mean, you get into that role when you're in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. But a party is not an audience. Right. Yeah. And woe to the people who think that the party is an audience. <laughs> uh, those people just because, look like asses. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, we, won't tell, we won't tell anyone who those people are. 
Let's see. Not everybody um, already knows who those people are in their own lives. Yeah, and they just probably try to get into the other room. That's always the best bet. <laughs> run away, run away. All right. This is okay. I'm almost done with Matt's list of 11 things. This is great. This was my filler while I lost you. Um, too much music. I don't cool. play music. The interviewer is disrespectful to the guest. I don't think I'm ever disrespectful to the guest. They have multiple guests on speaking at the same time. Not very often, maybe just two or three times. And then they have the guest introduce themselves instead of introducing the guest for everyone else. I probably should do better than that. But I always say the name of the person that I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. So, all right, good. Now that I've gotten so to what that, was that awkward transition. What was, what, <laughs> what was that list? See, uh, Matt, who blogs at Patheos with For Puck's Sake. Oh, For Puck's yes. Sake. He had an <laughs> article th- called uh, Things That Ruin Occult Podcasts. Ah. And I thought about going through the list to see if I'm doing those things. And... I don't think I'm doing most of them, so I'm probably not ruining the podcast, according to Matt. And when I lost you, I had to (laughs) figure out something else, you know, and that seemed like a good thing to talk about. So we were talking. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're talking a little bit about fairy traditions, and you're talking Mm -hmm. about Storm and his books. And Storm's uh, Betwixt and Between is a really good book. I really enjoyed it. And I like how you said that he is, you know, very ceremonial because I felt like, wow, he's not really that far off from me. I'm very much that mm-hmm. way. But uh, the mm-hmm. fairy tradition, unlike a lot of other traditions, has not ever really had all of its secrets published. Do you ever get concerned as someone who's been initiated into that trad when you see a fairy book come out? Um. <clears throat> I do not, because I mean I know that there are parts of the tradition that different different groups throughout the U.S. have felt were oath-bound material, and some of that stuff has come out in ways that made people very uncomfortable. So you know about the the quote-unquote schism that happened some time ago, um, which was essentially between the people who felt like fairies should remain a very fam trad sort of thing where you were really had, you know, deep familiarity with every single person that you were engaging with as a teacher versus the folks who felt like tools are necessary for the transformation of our world and why would we not share them with as many people as possible. And <clears throat> personally, I can sympathize with the idea that something that an individual has hold very near and dear is being what they perceive as sold to the masses. Um, but at the same time, the tools of the tradition, because they deal so much, some of them at least, deal so much with uh, how we are in the world, how we relate to ourselves internally, and how we relate to the world through this lens of responsibility that more people doing that would be a good thing for the planet. <laughs> So, you know, I think the the tools that are used within the tradition are something that can be very um, helpful to the world at large. At the same time, you know, publishing uh, and what people perceive to be initiatory secrets 
has obviously been problematic. And to me, it, it seems like the thing about an initiatory tradition, like you're not all the way in until you're all the way in, mm-hmm. it relies on everybody's buy-in. You know, if, if you know, using Gardnerian as an example, if everyone who is a Gardnerian agrees that when you get your third degree, this is, these are your rights and responsibilities. But in fairy tradition, it was never that clear. So if you were an initiate of fairy tradition, maybe your little group would agree as to what your rights and responsibilities were, but somebody halfway across the country was not going to see it that way. Well, fairy so, is different in that it's not a, it's not a tradition of the book. Like, you know, a gardenarian has right. a book of shadows, you know, it's, well, we're right. going to look up how to do this in the book. And fairy was never like that. So, I mean, it's a completely different place. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like my, my experience, my most intense experience of the current has been completely outside of any of the ceremonial aspects of it. You know, I've been in places where there were 20 or 30 initiates gathered and, and whatever magic was chosen to be done in that moment had nothing to do with the invocations and the way people turned and all of that sort of stuff. It was really about, you know, the personal, personal power that was generated in, inside of each practitioner in whatever way they felt was most appropriate. I told somebody the other day, like they were talking about secrets or something. And, you know, I said, you could hand somebody a Gardnerian book of shadows, but they, and they could read mm-hmm. the rituals 70 times, but it wouldn't mean anything because it's not about reading the ritual. It's about experiencing the thing that you are experiencing. That to me is right. You can't put those things into words, and we all experience things differently. So my experience, even if right. I'm reading the same words as somebody else, is going to be different from somebody else's experience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so that you know, for me, that was sort of a um, that recognition of how each person's internal experience is being um, invigorated or denigrated by their outward experiences was kind of what led me to this sort of the amalgamum that became the secret country of yourself. So the idea that if you move into a thing with expectations, then you limit your experience. And if you prioritize other people's experience over your own experience, then, then you're missing something. So it was, you know, it was kind of that, that idea that, um, you know, if you, if you hand somebody a set of keys and they don't know what house or what car or what (laughs) storage unit those things belong to, right. You know, they're, they're not going anywhere. They're not living anywhere with those keys. They're just carrying them around as a weight. And if you, if you know where the house is or you know where the car is, or you know where the storage unit is, then uh, even if you don't have the key, you can probably figure out a way to get in. And so it was that that sort of, you know, outside of 
expectations outside of tradition, outside of what might be expected, but also putting a huge amount of responsibility on that individual. Because if you step into a very traditional, more ceremonial uh, ritual, then the words are there for you, the movements are there for you, and you're kind of moving yourself into something that already exists. And if you're doing it from this other perspective, it's like you, you bear the brunt of responsibility for all the things that happen to you and the things that you generate. Um, and both of them are very, very powerful possibilities, you know, and conceivably you do this work to um, enhance and engage and become more individually responsible. And you take all those things that you've learned and you move into a more ceremonial uh, tradition or style of working. And in that case, then this is just a set of tools to help you get someplace that will support what you're already doing. I mean, I think every witch has sort of a, a public and a private practice. You know, and most most of the books are always about the public practice. Say this and say that. And one thing I think that you're doing is you're writing a book about the private practice and how to have that be a fulfilling thing mm-hmm. and how to really experience that. And so that's different, and I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm just giving you compliments. It's not really like a question, I guess. I thought I was like sounding really profound there. Then I realized there was no question at the end, which is bad hosting. I'm sure that's like number 0.12 on Matt's list. <laughs> so one of the things about knowing you and watching you put together this book and Jenya's husband, Matthew often stays at my house because he works in the same city that I live in. And I would ask him about the book too is, uh, what was the, there was a process to the book and there were, I think a few kind of roadblocks on along the way. So what was the process of writing this book like? So the process is because my girlfriend, Sara was very committed to me writing a book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the fact that she had already written a book with Llewellyn, she was like, you know, come on, you need to go meet these people. So I did. And then, uh, and I pitched my book at PECON in, I guess, 2015 now. And they said, yeah, that sounds cool. Send us a proposal. And I started to put it together. And then I freaked out and I stopped because, holy shit, (laughs) it's so, uh, uh, like, daunting to write a book. So, anyway, then you invited me to write something for your book. And when, I guess, when they got your book, um, Alicia, our uh, editor at Llewellyn, sent me a note and said, thanks for your contributions to Jason's book. And by the way, whatever happened to your proposal? And and I thought, well, this is the moment. I'm either going to write this book or I'm not going to write this book. And so I told her, I will have you a proposal in two weeks, which led to many late nights. A lot of fear. A lot of yeah, a, lot of fear, a tremendous amount of fear. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I did it and I sent it to her and turned out liking it. And um, it was really, it was difficult because I, I felt like I could either write what was on the top of my head 
or I could write what was on the bottom of my head and inside my heart. And so there, you know, the challenges were I could write a whole big section and be like, okay, yeah, this is serviceable. And then somebody, usually my husband, would remind me that serviceable was not what we were going for. <laughs> um, you know, and that when I'm when I become willing to engage my heart in what I'm writing, then the writing becomes something that somebody might quote on their Facebook. Um, yeah. But if I don't do that, then um, everything just sort of, you know, kind of cruises along the top of my brain and and cruises along the top of other people's brains too, and doesn't really sink in. So um, it was a big challenge to really become willing to say all the things that I felt need to be said. I, I find it interesting, you know, that you would let Matthew read the book. And then you had a group of people that were in sort of an early readers club that you asked for feedback from about the book. Mm-hmm. And I found that yes. really fascinating because in my own process, nobody looks at the book and reads it until Alicia does because I'm scared of people <laughs> criticizing my writing. Uh, how, <laughs> I, this is true. How, how, how is that process for you when people do give you criticisms? I mean, it's constructive and they're your friends, but does it ever like wound you? Like, uh, how did you not know what I was saying there? This is so straightforward. <laughs> well, honestly, the people that I asked to be my initial readers were people that I felt like I, I really thought of a lot about who I invited into that group. And I thought, if this person tells you that it isn't good, are you willing to listen to them? And that was sort of the criteria. And so I ended up with some people that, you know, some of the smartest people, the most um, well-practiced people, the most ethical people that I know were a part of the early readers group. And, and, and they gave me feedback that was like, I got some feedback that was, you know, kind of, I was like, ah. <laughs> Dang, I really love that sentence. You know, but but actually the the hardest part was when I got my notes back, my first set of notes that came back from Alicia and the team. And, you know, I got five pages of notes and it was just, you know, it was like, holy crap, they're picking picking it apart like crazy. And I I got very depressed when that happened because I felt like, you know, I've, I've just been around, I've been around for a long time and I've heard people say many times that they thought my writing was good. They thought it was cool. They thought I was a good mm-hmm. talker or whatever. And this was really, I think probably one of the first times that somebody really dug into what I was saying in a way that was like a book is a permanent thing. You can't just, say something and, you know, have it disappear later when you're writing a book, (laughs) you have to say it right the first time and you have to um, expect that not everybody knows you or knows your way of being or will make assumptions based on them liking you or whatever. So, so those notes were very hard, but at the same time, I recognized that once I got into all those places that um, the book was, like light years better than it could have been without that input. So I was really grateful for how intensely they looked into what I was writing. 
for those of you who don't know, when you send a book into Llewellyn, they read it, and they have like eight people read it, and then they all gather in a room and criticize your book together, and then they send you notes <laughs> about what's wrong with your book, and they call them the vision notes, and they're the most horrifying, scary thing to read if you're a writer. Like, <laughs> one time, I didn't even get the notes back. I just got a phone call, and it was like, you need to call us. And we ended to talk, and it's like, we really hated your book. <laughs> You're going to have to rewrite like 60% of it, you know, and they were right. That's the sad, you know, that's a, that's the tough thing is that they're almost always right. right. Still, it's painful. It's painful. It's all get out. It is I like don't look at them for a month yep. after I get them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're not alone. I like, feel like just a worthless shit, you know. Like I'm just gonna go back. But then you just keep writing. You just keep writing more books. I know. I know. What's your next book gonna be? Uh, my next my next book is gonna be don't write a book for a while. Just teach. And maybe another book will decide to get born out of that. But I don't have plans to write another book right now. So you're you're teaching a lot coming up. And so I want to talk about some of this where, okay, well, I guess we'll start like what workshops and things are you teaching while you're on the road for the next several months? Not continuously. No pagan author can do that, but Jenny has a lot of things planned. I do know that. Yes, it's true. I am going to be at PantheaCon, um, of course, and I'm going to be doing, uh, well, you know about my deep well, great heart work mm-hmm. um, which has to do with you know making wells and filling them full of prayers and water and inviting folks to because all water is one water to draw forth those prayers from wherever they are so i'm doing a, a deep well in the fairy haven suite starting on friday i'm going to do a ritual around creating that that will that well will stay up all weekend And then I am doing a talk at 1 o'clock on Saturday in the Llewellyn Suite, which is about the book. Then I'm doing another one at 3 o'clock in the Fairy Haven Suite, which is about the book. And then I'm doing a Deep Well Great Heart, Bright Hearth ritual on Sunday night. (laughs) And then uh, leaving on Wednesday night to go to Detroit for convocation and I am doing a presentation there on Sunday morning at 9am which seems a little early but okay I know I always Um, put that in there like no nothing before 11 9 (laughs) is 6 specific time that is not good yeah so we'll see how coherent it is but I think it'll be really good (laughs) I'm looking forward to. (laughs) Maybe I should just stay up all night. That's a really good plan. Um, That I'm excited about getting out to the West Coast and Midwest and kind of you know being able to make connections with people um, that I haven't been able to before. So I'm going to do convocation in Detroit, and then in March I'm going to Paganicon in Minneapolis, and after that I am going to be doing an event at the Eye of Horus in Minneapolis um, on that Monday which I'm very excited about and then 
April and going back to Texas, probably do a signing there. Um, and then in May, I am doing Rites of Spring. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing uh, INATS and PSG. July, I'm doing Mystic South and Sirius Rising. And I think I'll stay home in April for, I mean, in August for Matthew's birthday. Um, and then we'll see like what happens after that. Birthday is an entire month. Jeez, he only needs a day. <laughs> He'll be over here four times drinking all my scotch. <laughs> like you do. I cleaned up the room he stayed in last night, and there was a tumbler there, and it had scotch left in it. And I was, like, horrified. I'm like, what are you wasting? I hope you. I hope that was the cheap stuff. <laughs> I really do. I hope that was the cheap stuff. So you he likes to been... keep a little glass of medicine next to his bed. I guess, but he didn't finish it, you know, because it was there at noon when I was cleaning up. So uh, you've been to some of these festivals before. Yeah. What, uh, you know, I don't want to ask you what your favorite one is. And it's usually people's hometown festival anyways. But what are some of your thoughts? on these, in, especially the indoor festivals, because I guess this is indoor festival season. Uh, are there any things that you particularly like about them, or is there anything that you particularly like about specific ones? The thing that I like about the indoor festivals is a, it's a concentration of people. And so you're going to pass by the same people in the hallway. You're going to, you know, be sitting in the same room with another person, think more frequently than the outdoor things. And so it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, see, see the same person over and over again. And especially if you are not good at talking to other humans in a space like that, you know, just seeing people's faces over and over again is a good sort of motivator to make contact and um and you know it's temperature controlled <laughs> and there's a bar so you know those things are always good but um but of course you know pagan festivals outside are the dream right you know you get to be among like-minded folks and you get Until to be in a place where <laughs> right the and then you get the concentrated rain. effect right one of the things that you have yeah. done in the past at Pantheon and uh, you know I've been I went once and it was a very extremely memorable experience for me is uh, a little thing that called the fairy tent revival which Yes, you know, it's sort of hard to explain, but you know, just think of a of a bunch of uh, witches in the middle of a Christian revival sort of atmosphere with fans. There's mm-hmm. always lots of fans. Can you tell me like yes. how that came apart? I don't think I've ever asked you that. How that came together? I don't think I've ever asked you that. And it's just such a cool thing. Well, uh, you know, many many years ago, I was talking about a, a pagan tent revival, and I was. You know, it's just the thing that people talk about that sounds kind of funny, but also awesome. And um, at one point, the group that I was working with in San Francisco, a fairy trad group called Dust Bunnies, um, headed by Valerie Walker, were like, you know what? We want to do something at Pantheacon, but it's got to be something totally fucking amazing. How about a tent revival? And so... We started putting it together, and the first year was 
you know, problematic because we tried to include communion, which wasn't going to work with that many <laughs> people. Um, but it was it was just the idea that there is this um, robustness to that style of working. There's, you know, that 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 expectation that people are going to call out in the middle of it, and it's going to be funny because it's kind of this uh, cognitive dissonance. And it's going to be sexy because witches and, you know, the, the openness to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And, and sort of, you know, I felt like we were folding in that enthusiasm and that dedication and that um, excitement generated in a tent revival. But we were, you know, keeping the hell out of it. We were, we're, we're orienting that energy and that intention toward empowerment, self-healing, responsibility, enjoyment of the body, those sort of things that were, you know, obviously very pagan values. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a thing. And people would come up to us afterward, and they would either say, um, I was raised in that tradition, and I was really worried and uncomfortable thinking about coming here, but you guys have <laughs> yes. made me feel better about where I came from. Or people would come up and say, I always thought it would be cool to do a thing like that, and, uh, and you've done it, so, um, so thank you for doing it. And the revival is a tremendous amount of work. So we haven't done it the past couple of years. You know, our, uh, our dust bunny's mother is, has been ill and yeah. um, everybody's kind of going through some stuff. So we haven't well, done I mean, it, but I feel things, like it's, you have to be totally focused to really do it. I mean, you can't have other things going on. Yeah. But I feel like it's one of those ideas whose time has come. So it's just kind of hovering out there in the ether waiting for somebody to say, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Um, because it is, it's productive. It's powerful. It's energetic and people love it. So yeah, the Gardnerian tent revival would be like going to Catholic church. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, if it's a tent revival, I would probably go, but um, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that completely. But, you know, there you go. <laughs> so I've, I've heard you refer to the secret country of yourself work before, and I know that you're doing some mm-hmm. online workshops. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Right now I have a group who is in the second round of the intro part. Um, oh, I didn't mention that I'm also doing a three-day retreat at the end of March, um, a secret country retreat that will help people to, you know, spend three days in that space, digging into these concepts in a, in a stronger way. But the, uh, sorry, my dogs are going bonkers right now. (laughs) I'm closing them out. All right. What was the question again? We're talking about your retreat in March? Yes. So the retreat in March, um, 
is going to be an opportunity to spend some time sunk into the the ideas and the principles in a way that will allow people to make greater strides in a shorter amount of time, possibly. Um, also, I'm working with a group right now who was in their second part. This is what we were talking about in their second half of their online class. So I have two different eight week things that I'm doing. Um, one of them is the intro to the secret country that focuses primarily on the beginning part, becoming a fit traveler, gathering the gear, things like that. Um, and then we visit the sanctuary, the shadow house, the temple and the school. And then in the second part we do through the gates of magic. And when we go through the great, the, through the gates of magic, we're engaging with the, the realms of the classical elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Also we go to the heart of the cosmos into the heart of our world and back into the heart of ourselves. And that's where we finish the journey is there in the heart of ourselves. So, so deep, you know, I like it. It is, it is a bit deep. You know, you know, I have to, have to ask this. Um, How, how is your, how's your blogging doing? Great. (laughs) Just going excellent. Yeah. Don't tell my editor. Yeah, I know. That guy's a jerk. So everyone hates him. He's a jerk. No, I think everyone loves him. Yeah, there's people. Some people do. Some people don't. It's, it all it all works out. It's all good. So as as we prepare to close, I know you're teaching a class. You're teaching tonight, I think, right? No, I'm not teaching tonight. Okay. I thought when I initially asked you to to do the show, you said that maybe you were teaching tonight or something. Yes, but, but. we got we got pushed out a week because of other scheduling conflicts. Aha. Or it could just be the winter weather in the Bay Area. I mean, it's probably only 50-some degrees outside, and it's been raining. So, I mean, <laughs> it is it is dire, dire situation out it here. We're in dire straits, let me tell you. Yeah. it's. Uh, I, I hope Ari gets home okay. So if people want to find you, <laughs> if people want to find you online, where can they do so? They can Google me at genyatbeachy.com. That is the first way to find me. And in going through that gate will lead you to all the other places that I appear on the magical web of the internet. There's lots of places. You're all over. You're like everywhere. So I guess my last question <laughs> is, I want to leave on a, a profound note. Uh, so when people finish the book, when people finish The Secret Country of Yourself, what do you want them to get out of reading your book? What I want people to get out of the book is the sense that they are precious, that they are amazing, that they are needed in this world right now, and that all of the parts of life that feel draining or difficult or terrible that they can see those things as a scratching post that the difficulties that we have in this life are ways for us to get stronger and 
You know, I don't mean to imply that people deserve terrible circumstances that sometimes come up in our world, but every challenge has the opportunity to make us stronger. And I hope people find that in themselves through this book. Excellent. Jenya, you know, I, I love you and adore you. And thank you so much for being on the show tonight. And, you know, at Convocation, you're going to have more to do because, you know, you're also going to be forced to be in my Dionysus ritual. Uh, you're just fabulous. <laughs> and uh, I, I love you so much. And I just, I'm so glad that I know you. I don't usually like gush about people like this. You're just great, Jenya. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, and both of us are happily married, so I got nothing to get out of this. It's just I really like Jenya. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. So that's my guest, Jenya. Jenya T. Beachy. The book is The Secret Country of Yourself. It came out through Llewellyn late last year. You can pick it up at every major bookseller and, of course, at your local bookstore. This is Raise the Horns Radio. I'm Jason I want to thank Witch School, as always, for letting me do this show, apparently now just once a month. And it's about time for us to be done, and I have to turn things over uh, to the great Pamela Kelly, who has her own show, show called Pam's Porch, you know, and she has a guest who's already here, who can, like, talk if she wants. Hi, Ginger. Uh, Hi, so yeah, I'm here. Hi, <laughs> yeah. Jason. Good show. To, Good show. Welcome to transition time. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I'm Jason. I live in the liminal between podcast shows. <laughs> that's where it, that's it, where you have all the fun, right? It is. It is. I get away with a lot in the liminal time. Oh yeah. Hey Jenya, yeah, I, I oh, have your book. Yes. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, I have your book, but I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to it. So hopefully I can call you up or, or message you. In the, in, I'll give you like a month or so since you just, you just talked to Jason if you want to come come back. Put you on the spot okay. here. Yeah, that'd be great. That sounds great. Hey, do you want to be I'd my like guest? To. I'm going to ask you like in front of thousands of people <laughs> so you can't say no. She could say no. She could say no. I could talk about the book and say how marvelous it is. So, Jenya, I'm sorry to everyone's guest. Pardon? I want to be everyone's guest. There you go. See, there you go. Be my guest. Yeah. Oh. Don't tell me that because I I can throw you out there and say we've got shows every night. <laughs> oh, speaking of guests, my next live show will be February 28th. Well, I will be talking to Laura Tempest Zakroff about uh, her latest book, Sigil Witchery, and about the co- and the book she co-wrote with Jason Mankey, The Witch's Altar. So that's coming up. Who's Sorry. that? It's a liminal time. Hey, who's that guy? He's a, he's a <laughs> jerk. He's a hack. I love him. I love him. <laughs> I hope you don't mind using Bro Witch. I use Bro Witch in the, in the, uh, the tease for the show. Yeah. That's fine. Just make sure to buy the shirt. I like Well, talk about the shirt before we, we switch flip into my show. Oh, yeah. If you haven't already. You can, you can visit my store on Etsy, the Pan Mankey store, selling everything Jason Mankey, which is not much. It's just some shirts and some books. But uh, you can order a Bro Witch shirt there, so that's exciting. Or you can buy it at festivals when I'm around. 
You need to TM that that sucker. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Yeah. There you go, Jason. Everything kind of died after that. We started talking about Brian Henke, and uh, we talked about um, oh, Jenya disappeared again. You talked about how she disappeared in the middle of your show early on, and then you went into that you know eleven things that podcasters do that are bad. This is what happens when you have when you have a, a more than one person with 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 uh, their hands on the controls. Anyhow, that was from about a year ago, um, and I, I've got I Jason. I could have spoken with myself. I could have spoken with myself. That would have been so we weird. Have. That would have been so weird. <laughs> it would have been like I don't know, uh, like uh, Back to the Future or something. So yeah, this was well. Yeah, well, that would be bad. But no, what was really cool about that is is um, as I was editing it to 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 put it on there, I saw that that you were going to your next show was going to be interviewing Laura Tempest Zachroff about her book Sigil uh, Magic, and then your yeah hey. (laughs) Speaking of which, I I, uh, I know. It's a small and and your book that you co-wrote really is. Yeah. It's a small really timeline small here in podcast land. Woo. Well, I'm gonna go ahead if that's okay with if it's okay with you guys. I want to go ahead and play because I've been like looking forward to this all night to play this one song because it's that time of the year. I want to play S. J. Tucker's The Feast of Krampus. And then after that, we can come back and talk about your guys' book, which I want to get everybody in a holiday mood because this should be at the top of everyone's list for your favorite pagan, witch, mag, anyone. It's I love it, okay? So there you go. We're going to talk about the book, The Witch's Altar, The Craft, Lore, and Magic of Sacred Space with Jason Mankey and Laura tempest Zachroff here on Pamit's Porch, or I'm going to call it tonight Raise the Porch Radio, okay?
And I was so delighted when I got your your guys' books, Jason and Tempest here, the the, the book that just came. Is it out? It's out, out, right? Yes. It's out. a couple of weeks. Yep. Awesome. Uh, the Witch's Altar, the Craft, Lore, and Magic of Sacred Space. And I like all the, the witches' tools, uh, the books that Llewellyn has put out so far. I know that I've, I've gotten your the Atome book uh, that I interviewed you for, uh, Jason, and then you did the Book of Shadows, and Tempest, you did the Cauldron, and there's the Mirror. There's there's a, a whole, you know, the whole line of these. But this one, I... I really, I can't, this one's so important in my opinion because it is that central thing that when we start dedicating ourselves in the past, it, it is something that's very important for us to, to have that you don't realize. Um, so so was it Llewellyn's idea for you guys to do this one or, or did you guys come up with this? Separately, or or how did this come to be that you guys did uh, the the witch's altar? Oh, Jason, you start. Well, I think we were originally going to try to write something else, but they told us we couldn't write the witch's chalice, so we had to find something else. And I uh-huh. I think it was Tempest's idea to write about altars. I can't really remember. All I know is that we were sitting on the couch in my house. Uh, probably drinking whiskey or wine and discussing what book we would write together. That That is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we don't remember as much as we should because of the whiskey and or wine. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, well, it's a definite likelihood. But well, uh, you, I you, think you are... Well, I was going to say, you're, you've got a, a connection with Dionysus. I'm sure the wine had something to do with divine intervention and, and whiskey, you know, uh, that also. I'm sure there are some other things leading you this way. But go ahead, Tempest. <laughs> oh, I think uh, I think we were just going back and forth about different ideas because what kind of led us to the witch's chalice is that uh, cups and chalices were originally going to be included in the cauldron book. And then Llewellyn said, no, we think we might do a separate book on that. And after I had finished that book, I was talking with Jason about, like, what what parts were our favorite parts to write and what parts were kind of um, a pain in the butt. Uh, And, well, Jason loves to write history, and I prefer some of the more hands-on, artsy aspects of things. Because uh, I'm like, how how much can you rewrite, you know, describe history? Like, this cauldron is 16 inches wide by 8 inches tall, and it was found in a pit, you know, somewhere. I'm like, to me, that's, that's not my forte. Uh, and so when they're like, well, we're not sure about the, the cup or the chalice. And uh, I think Jason mentioned something about the pentacle. I'm like, well, why don't we put something like that into an altar book? Because that, that is a main tool, right? Um, and the pentacle wouldn't be covered off by itself. There's not really enough information. So couching it inside the witch's altar, uh, it seemed like, well, we love altars. We love you know, creating things. Again, like you said, there aren't many books out there on there. So, uh, yeah, whiskey, wine, couch, cats, uh, and uh, we sent the proposal in. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I'm, I'm really glad you did. And I, I'm not – I don't try to be like a sycophant saying, oh, it's so good. I I try to be honest with this, but with with what I used to do 
when I when I used to teach at uh, an Air Force base, I was teaching students that were uh, living in dorms, and a lot of them uh, were setting up. They had just left home, and this was them setting up their their whole new space. And a lot of times, uh, they didn't know exactly how to go about setting up a sacred space, and what goes into it, and what your considerations might. Uh, you might have going into it. And I would have, I'm sitting here reading the book and I'm saying, I had this conversation. I had this conversation. I had that conversation. And I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and, and let people know it's, it's a, a, it's a lot of what Tempest and Jason already said with a lot of the history of this and try doing this to set it up. And then a lot of, ideas from a lot of other people out there. Lupa, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, Angus is in here. Uh, name some of the other people who, I'm trying to, to pull them out of the top of my head. You've got all different types of altars in here. Uh, Grian, uh, and, Raven and Phoenix yeah. Lafay. And uh, the, there's... Yeah, Jenya Beachy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh yeah, that, have... that's part of why I thought of having her on. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. So we played the repeat and we had Lil Dorsey in the book. Mhm. And we had we had Keldon in the book. I'm holding it so I know what I have in but I know what's in it. And yeah, and Keldon is a writer at Cassius Pagan and his first Llewellyn book is going to be out next year, I think. So I think so, yeah. for him. He's so cute. He's so cute. Oh, yeah. And a strip Estrella Taylor's in it. She's going to have a Llewellyn book out within the next uh, 15 months, and she writes at Patios. I love that we get our friends to help us with this, and we give people opportunities. Yeah. Uh, Louis Barthony? Yes. Maybe one day I'll be asked to do something, but then I would have to actually do it, and I don't know how you guys can do that. How you... you I, I know how to write, but I admire it. On I, Facebook. I, I, okay. Who wants to write? We put it on <laughs> Facebook. Who wants to write? And then, you know, we try to put as much of it in the book as we can so we don't have to write anything ourselves. <laughs> I was I, – I, I didn't want to say that, but, I, but the reason I didn't want to say that because I really like the way that this is set up because – your altar needs to be something that expresses your connection and what you're trying to do. So, so if you don't mind, I want to ask some specific questions that, you know, people can go into more detail when they get the book and they can, you know, we're going to tease people with some of the things that you're going to find in here. Now you're, you're talking about the pentacle, pentagram, pentacle, uh, what was it? Pentacle, um, I remember when I was putting my altar together and I could get all my different tools, except for I had a hard time finding a pentacle, a pentacle disc. And I remember going to a, an occult shop and, and asking them about, you know, can I buy one of these? And they looked at me like, what are you asking us? This is a horrible thing to ask us. And I, 
it, it seemed like it was it was I was asking the wrong question. I was brand new. It was a baby witch, and I liked the fact I I had to make my own. And I was reading on on some of the how tos in here, and I'm like, I have a how to on how I did mine, which is similar to to some of your ideas here. But first of all, let's talk about the pentacle, uh, Jason, because you are the the history person. Tell us about, you know, what most people don't understand a lot other than it's something that you wear around your neck. Why is the pentacle important to an altar? Well, it's kind of, well, one of the problems is that you have pentacle and pentagram. So you've got two words that people use interchangeably, and they're really not the same thing. Uh, The word pentacle was first used in um, grimoire magic. And a pentacle did not necessarily have to be a five-pointed star like we think about it now. It was like mm-hmm. a magical talisman for summoning demons for the most part. And really what a pentacle is, it's, it's this place on your altar that sort of opens up your altar to other worlds and other places. You know, like every time we do a circle, you know, we say like we exist between the worlds, time that is not a time and right. a place that is not a place. A pentacle is sort of one of the ways into that. Uh, so it's a gateway. That's why you put your salt and your water on it, because you're exposing those things to this magical power that doesn't exist in other places. You know, usually if you read books about the pentacle, they're like, it's a tool of earth. Put stuff on it. And that's pretty much all you read. And while that's true, there's more to the story than that. I was actually surprised I got the pentacle chapter in the book because I didn't think they would let it be in the book. So I was really surprised and happy that I was it ex- in there. I was happy, too, because I was really excited. I'm like, I can't wait to read that chapter. And it is uh, – it's, it's, it's good because it's, it is the, the – it's what edifies your, your sacred space. It's what edifies your, your – you know, not only is it like that conduit, it's also – a focal point, in my opinion, and also in the book's opinion, other people's opinion who who uh, contributed to the book. Now, um, Tempest, uh, the Pentacle. Uh, there in the in there in the book, there's a uh, different definitions that uh, you know about uh, altar, shrine, uh, uh, circle. A sacred space, it's not just the altar. Can you go into some of the other ways that you could define your sacred space that you would find uh, in this book or maybe on your own? Yeah, we, we talk about a lot of different things. And I think one of the most important things is when we're talking about what is an altar, it is the place of action. It's the place of activity. Uh, so that's where that connection is made. Uh, we tend to think about, oh, I have an altar. I have this shelf that I put stuff on and occasionally look at it. But anything where you are interacting with the divine, with the spirits, with doing spellcraft, technically that is an altar place into itself. So thinking about it not so much as this very static place, but a place of activity and action. And uh, mm-hmm. from there, you know, we have so many different names for naming sacred spaces, like a shrine, which tends to be dedicated to uh, a particular deity or a holy person. Uh, you know, we think about the saint shrines out there. 
um, our roadside shrines, which are dedicated to people who have lost their life on the road, those crosses that you see on the side of the road and those makeshift uh, arrangements of flowers and things, to um, you know, a sanctuary or a tabernacle, you know, we kind of get into more of the bigger the space. So we're getting more into that sense of place than just being um, one small thing. So I think most pagans, though, tend to look at, you know, I have an altar, I might have a shrine to a goddess, uh, and then I might have a grove or a grotto or something in, the, in, you know, in your yard or out in the woods where you connect outside as well. And uh, there's so much in this book that I'm like, my brain is going, okay, I want to talk about that. And you brought up something else I want to talk about. But with the shrine, one of the things that you were talking about is, and you, you brought up with what you were just saying, is having a shrine usually might be considered going for a specific deity or even a saint might be as a consideration. And one of the things that I think people feel uncomfortable about is if you have a shrine and, and I highlighted, this is like one of the few things I highlighted out of the book Tempest that you said um, that I highlighted when you put up a shrine and you have a specific deity on the shrine, does that mean that you're dedicating your life to that deity, that you're worshiping that deity in your opinion? (laughs) I think, no, I think you're forging a relationship, but it doesn't have to be, uh, it's like if you, if you take an oath, if you make a formal dedication, if you say I am devoting my life to be a priest or a priestess or whatever title word that you want to use, that's a very specific conscious. And when you think about, say, an ancestor shrine, you're recognizing the connection between you and your ancestors or the mighty dead. You're not necessarily dedicating yourself to them, right? You are making an action to their their memory. Um, And so I kind of recommend for people who are like, I'm not sure what gods or goddesses I'm into. Like, even if you, you don't even have to have any at all, right? But Right. If there's some someone who's, you know, you're like, I don't know, I keep seeing all these things for Pan, then, you know, maybe making that little altar to Pan to kind of flesh out the relationship and see what can grow from that. Um, it's not saying you're only devoted to Pan. It's saying, hey, let's open a conversation here. Let's see where this goes uh, in a respectful manner versus, you know, running around and, um, you know, Pan throwing things at you as you go about your life. <laughs> Which can happen anyway. Yeah. So. No guarantee. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and I one of the things I I liked about when you're starting to put your altar together, I I realized that I was reading Angus's bit about how when he started putting his altar together, uh, that he kind of got kicked cosmically kicked in the butt that this is something that he wants to do or he's supposed to do, uh, he needs to do however you want to put it. And he he realized that he was he he was already collecting things and and Jason you talk about when you started talking about and this is all in the book um, about you and Ari having that table that from that just kind of appeared because of all the you know living in roommate type situations living in these old houses you got this old table that became your your one of your altars, one of the things that you carried with you. And I'm like, I had one of those. I had, and and you get this, it, it's not, it's nice if you could do, like I said in that book, where you can have this really beautifully 
laid out artistic, you know, whatever altar. But I think it's better when it's the things that just kind of you've been kind of grabbing and getting. Um, when people start looking at what they want to do with their their shrines and, and altars and, and their sacred spaces, usually when they first come to this, they're like, oh, well, I have to go to the shop and I have to buy this and I have to buy that. Um, that's not necessarily the case. You you both brought both brought up uh, good ideas. I want to go with uh, with Jason talking about some of your how tos. Um, let me tell you my how to with making my pencil folders. I went to Pier One and they had these wooden platters, like cheese platters, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I came home and I drew the pentacle on it. And I got my buddy's Dremel tool, and I <laughs> I drilled out the pentacle. That was my first pentacle disc, and it was just something homemade. And it one of the things that you talk about in the book too is is um, how to keep things clean and how not to burn things. That poor disc was had burn marks all over it, and wax all over it, but it kind of made it more special to me. Um, can you give me some of, give everyone a little bit of an idea of some of the how-tos that they might find in the book to make their own disc, Jason? Their own pencil? Oh, uh, making, yeah, well, I'm not really very artsy crafty, so when I have to write those parts of the book, it's sort of difficult for me, because those are the things that Llewellyn wants in these books. So you sometimes you have to go outside of your comfort zone and experiment. But uh, the thing that we have, the one that we've made at our house that I'm most proud of, is one made out of beeswax. And it sounds complicated, but it's so super easy. We just found an old dish at, I think it was Goodwill, and it like the outside of it had grapevines on it, and it, we were like, wow, that's perfect for us. And we put it in the oven with a piece of beeswax on top of it, and then we just let the beeswax melt, and it filled in the dish, which was really, really shallow, so it didn't take a whole lot of beeswax. And then we just inscribed the pentacle with our white-handled knife. And that was it. It was done. And it's so cool because you just don't see the beeswax pentacles anymore. They're the most traditional of all the pentacles in witchcraft because the idea was if somebody was coming to your house and you didn't want them to know that you were a witch, you could just take your hand across the wax and smear out the pentacle really fast. That's where a lot of uh, the the talks I had with with uh, with the students I had was is a lot of the tools that we use had like the atome, you know, they had dual uh, a besom, you know, that was your broom, but you used it uh, every day and then you used it magically, so. You had to had to be able to because you didn't know if somebody was going to show up, and uh, you know, you're consoled well, with the devil. I think some of those fears, I think some of those fears were just sort of manufactured. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. that's what Gerald said because it made everything sound so much older than it was. Because a lot of the tools that you see in witchcraft today really come from ceremonial magic and the grimoire tradition. If there had been mm-hmm. people who self-identified as witches in the Middle Ages and practicing they probably wouldn't have been using a lot of the same things that we use today. Exactly. But it just sounds exactly. much cooler and witchier to say you need to hide your, your shit. 
Well, but there are times that you, you need to in, in times where you have roommates and or um, I'm going to go back to the case because this is why I love this book so much because I would love to send this to every single pagan that I helped go through uh, through the, the Air Force training um, because this is this is great for for them Um because you you do have a roommate type situation, you do have people coming in that you have to be able to hide things. And there's a, a, some really good ideas on travel or portable altars. Um, and Tempest, I think, didn't you come up with with some of them? Can you? Mm-hmm. I love the tin, like a, a the, and we we've talked about this with uh, with some of the people who serve and are deployed is using like a, like an Altoids tin. Yeah. The, the, that or the matchboxes. I mean, the Altoids tin is really great, yeah. especially if you're going to be in, you don't know if you're going to be wet or dry or hot or cold, whatever. It, it tends to be a little bit more uh, durable and easy to put in your pocket. And even if you couldn't have some sort of small box or something, you can even have a drawing that you keep in your wallet um, or something that you laminate that is a place of focus. Uh, so there, there's so many ways of, you know, you don't have to have this big dramatic setup. So no matter where you go, you can take that sacred space with you. Because, again, it's that place of action, right? It's not one of the most wonderful things is, you know, I always like to say is that we don't have a church. Like God doesn't exist in one place. We can be anywhere and interact with the divine within ourselves, within, you know, a city or a forest. So having that little tin that reminds you of, you have your little samples of the elements that you can do workings there and connect with it or having the thing in your car, you know, whether it's a little dashboard altar of things or a little assortment on your nightstand, like things will have to be obvious. You don't have to, you know, have certain things and that's it. And, you know, unless you're in a tradition where things are required, uh, you know, you don't have to have all the tools on display to make it an official altar. It's any place, any time, any surface. And see, you know, just like when I was reading Angus's bit about about how when he started pulling things together, I started realizing that I've been doing altars without realizing it most of my life, mm-hmm. you know, whether just, you know, this is, and I love to do them at work. Whenever I get a, a go into work, I, I usually have something set up. <laughs> where like uh, I had a job where there was not really good communication. So I brought in my big citrine and put it there to help me, you know, facilitate the communication and, you know, a nice big chunk of obsidian to absorb all the negativity. And people didn't have to know it was an altar or anything. It was just, you know, just helped me with focusing to, to do the work I needed to do. Um, this, again, it's the witch's altar, the craft, lore, and magic of sacred space. Did you guys, you've, you've done a couple of these. I mean, you know, Tempest, you've done one, and, uh, and Jason, this is your third of the tools. Tempest, what was, I'm going to ask both of you, but I'll start out with Tempest. Mm-hmm. What were the things that you liked about doing this one compared to the other one and, and some of the things that you maybe didn't like? Um, the, I think we each really got to <laughs> focus on what we wanted to do the most because we balanced this out really well. Uh, you know, I really like, yeah. <laughs> I really like talking about, uh, you know, I like not to say breaking rules, but 
demystifying, you know, so much of, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. Uh, like there's so many ways to pass. So being able to enable people to see that they, you know, there's so many different options for them that there isn't a, you're doing this wrong. I mean, we have suggestions for how to avoid, you know, messes, uh, how you might have something like if, if you have it in a certain direction, how that might not work for you, but Right. You know, there is no hard and fast. So I, you know, I really enjoy allowing people to you know, kind of give them themselves, give themselves permission to do what they feel is right and trust their gut. So that's really, I think, the, all the parts I, I did were really focusing in on that. And the few things like Jason, though, gets really into decorating. <laughs> so um, that one section of, of the book, I was like, could, could you do that? Because I'm not so much of a, a decorator. I don't take after my mom. Uh, in the seasonal sort of way. Uh, so that was one of those reliefs. And I think I took, I can't remember, I think I took something over a few Jason too. But, yeah, I, I'm sure. Like, I think like all the, most of the dead stuff, you, you did all the dead stuff. Like yeah. ancestors are working I with like dead things. In things. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm more of a love and light pagan, I guess. <laughs> so what what are some of the things that what are the things that you enjoyed or or maybe not enjoyed doing this one Jason? The, the hardest part of this book was writing the history of altars because there is nothing out there. There's really not a thread. People don't talk about altars in history very much. I think it's because they just assume that it's something that's there all the time, so it's not worth a, it's not worth commenting on. So that was a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. And, you know, that, oh, it's just so frustrating because I expected all of this material to be out there and there's hardly any mentions of altars, like if you, when you're reading stuff about ancient history. So that was, that was difficult. I really like most of the pentacle chapter because that was history that was much easier to trace and to write about. It was a lot less frustrating. I like a lot of the rituals in the book that I got to write. That was fun. Uh, some of them are obscenely long, though. I think there's like an altar dedication <laughs> ritual, which might be 8% of the book, because it has something for uh, every tool that you put back on the altar. Um, so that was fun to write, but I also felt really self-indulgent. Well, as I was reading that one, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm just going to earmark this part for when I'm actually doing that work. Uh, but but it's it. I liked the fact that you, you had um, dedications. You talked about the difference between – you both talked about the difference between blessing something and consecrating something, which – you know, you you hit the nail on the head, Jason. And I think I've I've brought this up too. Is there's not a lot of information out there about altars and sacred spaces, and and I think people feel kind of like it's supposed to be, like you said, Tempest. That you know, oh, I I have to have it facing this direction, and I have to make sure I have. A, a statue of a goddess and I have to have a statue of a god and where am I going to find these things but you can use symbols you you know one of the things that I that I've talked about when I used to teach and that's in this book is if you're in a bind and you you need need to do something write write things on paper you even talk about doing a paper plate pentacle um 
in here. So, so this is a book that, that people can use for, uh, you know, like really dedicated coven craft stuff with some of the, the, the beautiful rituals that you put in here, Jason, to, uh, hey, I've got an Altoids tin. And, I'm you know, I'm not – I shouldn't say – Altoids because I'm not getting any money from Altoids. I'm not saying they're the only ones, but those little metal tins. Uh, let's you know I can make a little a little altar and, and sacred space with that. Um, I liked I, I liked like that you talked about. Oh, I'm trying to cut you off, but because I I like oh. that you talked about where to place the altar because that was sort of a fun discussion while we were writing the book because I don't think Tempest cares. And I have reasons for placing the altar in certain places. Like in, in my coven, it faces the east because east is where the sunrise is, and it's the first quarter that we call. So it seems to be a good place to start everything from. But a lot of books will just say, place the altar in the north, and they don't ever tell you why to have the altar facing in the north. So I like reading that. I like writing that chapter because I got to go back and look at these books and see what they did not say or to see what they did say in some cases, though usually they didn't give much in the way of reasons. I um, know that I try to, I have altars around the house that I don't really, you know, put, they're just there. And then I started thinking about the fact that I, I just kind of subconsciously, I guess, made these altars and never really thought too much about it. Like an ancestor, well, my father just passed in uh, in August and I just got a, a picture of him and I put it on top of like one of my, my altar things with some other stuff. And I, I never really thought about it. You know, I have like an offerenda uh, type thing going there and I never really thought too much about where I'm doing the altars around my house. And I like the fact that you gave me permission in this book to do that. But then one of the ladies that um, she runs the uh, curious goods shop in, in Lawton, Oklahoma, Lawton, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. When I've gone to her house for, for ritual, she has altars everywhere. These little altars all over her house. And I like the fact that in this book, you talk about the that going back into into the 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 what you're talking about with with Tempest and the Dead, and with Jason and the decoration. That there's different types of altars here that you give ideas about, and you can have a seasonal altar, which I think some people do. I used to do that a lot more. I don't do that as much, but. It's almost like, like you said, Tempest decorating. Because mm-hmm. when we affect our space, and I think it also depends on like how much you're either closely linked to the seasons or really needing to feel that. Uh, I, I think when I worked a job where uh, I was a designer in a windowless room for eight hours a day. So, you know, having something then where I could really connect with what was going on because it's very discon- disconcerting to not see the progression, the change of the hours and the color of the leaves and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, you know, I, I, my, my studio looks out into trees and what's going on in Seattle. So I'm like, I'm very much in tune with what's going on in the seasons and the weather. So you know, there's, there's different ways of acknowledging and connecting with that. Um, so 
you know, but again, my my mother, I write about her. She she loves, you know, that's her thing about claiming her space is to, it's time for, you know, Easter time, it's springtime, all the bunnies have to come out and all the eggs have to come out. And, <laughs> you know, the whole going into Advent and to, you know, all the, when the Santas come up on the mantle and all, you know, she was telling me the other night that um, they redesigned the living room. And so the mantle isn't as big, the TV hangs too low, so she can't put her stuff on, on the mantle, her altar, the way she wanted to anymore. Uh, so, you know, it says that kind of claiming and feeling like you're in charge of your space um, when they do it seasonally. So it's kind of interesting, everybody's own reasons for, for doing that. And Jason, you're, you're saying you're, you sound like Tempest's mom. You've got your, your stuff. Yeah. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for autumn. I'm ready for well, you know, I, I like looking at, like, I have a lot of my Yuletide stuff up already, and I like seeing it because it just connects me to the time of year, and it connects me to feelings that I've had in my lifetime. It connects me to my family, like, my grandparents are both deceased, and I love and miss them so much, and Christmas was always a really big deal at their house, so it's not an ancestor altar in any way, but when I see my holiday stuff, I can't help but think of my grandparents for a minute and feel connected to them. So those seasonal altars are really important to me because they do connect to me with a variety of things. I think sometimes when we think about our altars, we're so focused on this is the place where I put all of my ritual tools during ritual. And I think that they can be so much more than that. And, you know, like you were saying, I think Pammy said that we gave you permission to do things. Which, you know, I think you should always yeah. ask Jason and Tempest permission for things. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's this fear in witchcraft that we're doing things wrong. And we're not ever doing yeah. things wrong if they work for us. And especially true with altars. Well, and that's one of the things I, I really enjoy about the book, too, because we talked about all the different people who contributed to this. And, you know, one of the people that we did, I don't think we mentioned when you were talking through, was, was Lon uh, Milo Duchette. Uh, when he talked, because you talked about the beeswax, putting it in the oven, and you talked about he actually started a house fire. So be careful when you do that. <laughs> that's in the book. Be careful when you do the beeswax thing in the oven. Be at a very low uh, yeah. The, yeah, the lawn thing, the lawn edition was from our editor. She really wanted that in there. And <laughs> I, it was, I felt like I was talking to my wife because, you know, she's like, if you're, you're melting that beeswax, you need to make sure that they're there all the time because you can start a fire doing that. I'm like, no, you can't. She's like, no, read this. Of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's, you know, speaking of that, going into that, there's also some common sense things. I have to tell you, I got so, I didn't know what to think about this. Um, I I saw a message that somebody sent in to uh, asking for advice, and they said that their kids are always trying to get it at their altar, and they can't keep them off the altar. And they're like, should I do a binding spell on my children? to keep them away from my altar. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. That's, there's no binding spells that I found to keep people away from your altar, but there's, there's ideas on how to keep your cats away, your, you know, people away. Um, I remember one of my, one of my altars, I had, you know, people over at the house and it was a, a nice place to put sodas. 
they would they put their I'm like you get that off my altar <laughs> don't put it there so there's some some good common sense things in here too about keeping it clean and about you know how what do you do with with prying eyes what do you do with animals what do you do with little ones um Although a tempest, start with that one and let you guys talk about that for a little bit. Uh, I know you I guys both had. I, this is something that you went back and forth on with the, the Q and A on that. Yeah, the uh, I feel like I covered this also with the witch's cauldron. It's like you know, if the, if your kids are interested in your altar, then why not set them up with their own version so that they can learn right. respect um, and feel like they're they're doing something that their parent is also doing. Um, it's yeah. like. I can't, you know, it's like trying to bind a cat. (laughs) Good luck with that. Uh, You know, there, there are different types of energy things you can do, but I'm like, what's the easiest solution that actually educates your child at the same time? Give them their own altar. If they're interested, then why not, why not start them young, which I'm sure somebody will take as evidence like there, there it is. They're corrupting children. I'm like, yes, we're corrupting them just the right way. Yeah, respect. Yeah, oh my awesome. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, I think yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, like why not? I mean, I I don't I don't have children, um, but uh, I would I definitely support that, and I know of other folks who have found that that works really well, especially with, you know, with different kinds of tools. It's like if you're going to have something that is ooh and shiny, and you don't want them to mess with it, giving them their own and teaching them how to use it properly and to not lose it or break it. Uh, you know, it's a great lesson. And, you know, so many people <laughs> look at what's the problem with the role? Well, people aren't paying attention to uh, outside of their own little bubbles, right? They're not looking at what other people are doing or really considering and thinking. Uh, so if you can teach people at a young age to respect other people's space and to have value in the things you own, then you can change the world like that. You know, it just starts with one altar book. You can change the world. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. <laughs> This book will change the world. One altar book, we can we can change the world. You know, I like that. <laughs> when alter the rule them all. No, not rule them all. I don't want to rule anybody. Well, but see, there is no there is no one altar in this, and that's the beauty part about it. And and what I said about giving giving permission. I mean, you know, can I have permission to talk about this next part, please? <laughs> um, sure. No, it's 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 really good that that you had so many different people uh, talk about. Like Lupa talked about outdoor things, obviously, and and sacred places in the outdoor outdoors, and having people talk about how they do it, I think helps, like you said, Tempest, demystify this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact, Jason, that you said that there's not a lot of history. Like uh, one of the things you talked about was with the the caves, uh, the cave paintings in like France, Portugal, and Spain, and that one cave with all the, the bear skulls that you you right. you say is most likely the first you know example of an altar because it's like the oldest thing that we have showing that people did something like this, but we don't know what they I'm did. Just... We don't know. I'm yeah. just obsessed with those caves, so I try to put them in yeah. every book because they're in the Book <laughs> of Shadows book, and I think they're in Transformative Witchcraft, and I think they're in 
the one that'll be out next summer. So I'm, I just look for excuses to put all of those in there. Speaking of which, I think this is, I think we've, we've talked, I just want to let people know that this book is, there's going to be something for everyone in this book. And if you've got somebody starting out or if you've got somebody that's been, been doing this for a while, there's going to be good ideas. There's a, I like your rituals uh, for, for different things, consecration, blessing, dedication, you know, dedicating things for, you know, a, a coven or a group or individual. Um, it, it's a, I sound so so much like a sycophant. Oh, it's such a good book, but it is. It, it's one that I got really excited about, and I I I seriously like going through my my head right now of all the different people who I could get this book for for the holidays. So, uh, where where do I get this book? Because Llewellyn sent me this. <laughs> where do other people get this book? Uh, we'll go with Tempest. Oh, I would say if you've got your local metaphysical or witchy occult shop, that's always a great place to support your local community. Uh, I know both Jason and I have it on our websites, or you do, Jason, right? (laughs) No, I haven't done it yet, but I will tomorrow. I think that's in the plans for tomorrow. Okay. Uh, And, you know, you can get it anywhere online as well, but I, I always you know, give that little heart. Like, yeah, you could save a few bucks or you can make sure that that shop that holds all the cool classes and rituals keeps going. Uh, and so, and you, you know that you're getting a good quality book and not, you know, a hurt edition that somebody's tossing off cheap. So since it's low, no, you can get it from anywhere. You can get it from the Llewellyn website as well, but uh, start local and then go to us and then go from there. <laughs> now, now I'm going to go ahead and bring up Amazon because there is, you know, you don't have to get the book from Amazon, but Jason, I don't, I don't remember if it's something that we've talked about in the past, but there's an important, if you go to Amazon and at least leave a review, you don't have to buy it there, but if you leave a review. Reviews are important. Yeah. Reviews are nice because I think some of the people who leave reviews on books don't read the book or, I don't know. <laughs> Some of the reviews that you read are just so strange. Um, there's a <laughs> review like on the Book of Shadows book on Amazon where the the writer says that I have all these Christian things in the book. And I'm like, I, I don't. <laughs> you know, it's just so, they're just so weird. So if you enjoy a book, it's really great if you can review it on Amazon. Because a lot of people use that as a resource, even if they don't buy books there. The same yeah. as Goodreads. Um, Go ahead. As soon as Goodreads. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just looking at Goodreads books for Tempest and I's latest books, and yeah, um, I, I just dumbfounded by some of the reviews. <laughs> uh, Tempest, you were going to say something about the reviews? I was going to say, I also recommend um, Goodreads. But yeah, I mean, there's things where you know, people will. There, there is no consistency for what people put different stars at. So it's really important to follow up and see what they're actually reading. And if that makes sense, you know, there's somebody who like digged it for the, they have received uncorrected proof. And they're like, it's, it says it has pictures coming. It would be better with pictures. And it's like, uh, you understand what an uncorrected proof is. It doesn't have the illustrations <laughs> in it yet, but you know, like Mickey Miller did beautiful illustrations. 
you know, all of the Witches Tool I'm series. Yeah, there are pictures. So, you know, it's like. I'm glad you brought up Mickey. She she did the illustrations for the book. Mickey did the illustrations for this book, too. So. Well, she feels like um, the third collaborator. She like she <laughs> feels like such a part of the process to me. She really does. And she she really brought her, her photos to life. I. I was just realizing because we were we were having a discussion of um, the cat that's on the altar in the back of the book. Uh, where is this? It's, yeah. in, it's in our Q and A section. We were arguing back and forth like whose cat could that be? Because it really isn't any of our cats. Uh, <laughs> so we're pretty sure like it must be one of Mickey's cats. But there's an earlier one where it's definitely my cat Simon. Uh, I'm like, wait, that's my altar next, Simon. It's, it's, it's very cute to see your your cat, but the cat I actually dedicated it to in the, the book too is not in the book. <laughs> so, okay. Yes, the cat. Well, you know, you talked about trying to keep your cats off the altar, and I'm, I'm like, you know, that's not going to happen. But I like the idea. Uh, spoiler alert: the idea of giving. We talked about giving your kids an altar. Give your cats an altar, a bath altar. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so they can break it. <laughs> Put some catnip in there, you know. Isn't, um, isn't the entire house their altar? Their cat. That, yeah. that is our our house is called the castle, and is the castle to cats. They they uh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. This is very true. Um, I know who's in charge. Of my house, it's not <laughs> Ari or I. It's the cats. Yep. Very true. Very true. Very true. Okay, so we talked. I I I do think people should, if they're looking for a good idea to get somebody something for the holidays or to put it in your your uh, library for, because it's not just about altars and sacred spaces. It's some, some really good ideas about a lot of things. Um, the travel altar, I when I was looking at the travel stuff, I'm like, you were describing my car with all the, I've got like Buddhist prayer beads hanging down. And I used to have this Turkish evil eye that was, and you you even say evil eye. I said, I had a Turkish evil eye hanging from my, my rearview mirror. Um, I usually, that area, the, the, it's kind of a newer area on the console. I think, um, that's not quite in between and it's not quite dashboard. It's maybe where you would put your phone. Um, that's usually where I have my Hotai, my Buddha, my fat Buddha. Uh, and, the, and you even mentioned Ganesh. I sometimes have my Ganesh with me when I go uh, traveling. Um, so I, I think that people are going to find things that they can relate to in here and other great ideas. Um, and, you know, going through the the seasons too, some really good ideas. You even have ha- uh, instructions on making a yule log, which I'm going to have to do uh, in the next couple of days. I was thinking, ah, there you go. That's one of my my projects that I'll do this weekend. Now, the books coming up, Jason. I already have my. I, I pre-ordered the Transformative Magic one. Can you talk about that one? Well, uh, Transformative Witchcraft is a book I've been working on for several years, and I finally got it done because Tempest told me to get it done. But it (laughs) talks about five sort of specific things that I think are often overlooked 
in books about witchcraft. Uh, four of them are actually practices. One, the first chapter is about whether or not Gerald, or section, they're really not chapters because it's really long, was about did Gerald Gardner get initiated into a witch coven? And I just think it's kind of an interesting question. So it starts there, and then it talks about building the code of power and raising energy and working with energy. And then from there we go to initiations and elevations and dedications. And it talks about a lot of the history of those things and then how to write your own initiation rituals. That's probably my favorite section of the book because there's lots of weird things in it, like little nuggets of stuff, like one of the ideas in it that in initiation you're often given a mystery, like a mystery is shared with you. So one of the things that it talks about is um, the uh, witch's pyramid. And then it sort of talks about the history of that and then how you can use it in a ritual. So there's like extra little things, and especially in that section of the book. And then it talks about drawing down the moon and our relationships with deity and how to have deity inside of you in a very literal sense. And then it ends with, with the great rite, which was the scariest part to write, of course. And if my wife ever reads it, uh, she'll turn red and we'll probably get divorced. But uh, so <laughs> that's what the book is about. It's about those five things. There's a lot of history in it, and then there are rituals, of course, to do all of these things. It was originally going to be called, like, The Five Mysteries of Witchcraft. So mm-hmm. and so the, technically now the book is called Transformative Witchcraft because all of these things that I talk about either transform a person or can be transformative in your life. And then the, the little sub-thing is The Greater Mystery, so it still has mysteries in the title. I'm really proud of it. I really love this book so much. I hope people will like it. I can hear I, – I, I know you've been talking about it, and I can hear it in your voice. And I've been – I as soon as you, you posted something about how it's almost out, I went like that. I think it's like I'm the next post on Facebook saying, I got it. <laughs> as soon as you mentioned it, I'm like, I pre-ordered it. So I'm looking forward to getting that in January. Uh, so people can pre-order that right now, hint, hint. Yes. If you want to get one of those yes. holiday gifts that comes after the holidays. Also um, purchased with that book often is Weave the Liminal, which is Tempest's book, which is even better than my book. You're so smooth because I was going to say Tempest. <laughs> That's a good one. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tempest. Talk about things that you got going on. Okay, so, uh, so, so uh, Weave the Liminal is uh, the subtitle Living Modern Traditional Witchcraft is all about creating an authentic path or practice of witchcraft using your own backgrounds, your inspirations, where you are living, considering your timetable, schedule of life, uh, lunar and solar seasons, and um, kind of setting yourself up for your, what is your system of morals and ethics that makes sense to you. And this is the book that I really, I started writing in my twenties and uh, unfortunately it died horribly in a, a hard drive and motherboard fry failure. So like totally oh, wiped no. off the face of the planet. And uh, yeah, that was, that was woo, way back then. And, but now, now, you know, 20 years later, I'm so thankful <laughs> because things you write in your twenties should probably not be put into print. <laughs> in <a permanent laughs> uh, so this is, you know, having, having lived a lot more and experienced, uh, so much more. I feel like this is, uh, um, well, it kind of sounds a bit 
don't know, lofty to say this, but one of the most um, influential books for me when I was a, a witchlet was Doreen Valiente's Witchcraft for Tomorrow. And you know, I love that book very much. And I still, it's like the number one book I recommend, but it's, you know, it was written in 1978. So it's a little outdated in terms of language and some of the concepts. And so my hope is that we, the liminal kind of is the next generation of a book like that for, for people today um, to be able to not only look at witchcraft as a practical, spiritual, metaphysical path for themselves, uh, but also see how they can really make it authentic and unique for themselves versus going, oh, I have to, you know, just read this one book and, and listen to everything it says, but even if it doesn't feel right. And I think so many people in the 90s were like, this, this feels good, but it's not exactly right. So I guess I'm doing it wrong if I'm not doing it. Like, you're not doing it wrong. If it's working, you're doing something right. And here's just more ideas of how you can deepen that practice um, as well also dealing with things about, um, you know, working with gods or not working with gods and spirits. Uh, how do you deal with business matters as well? I mean, if you're becoming a vocational witch, how do you deal with issues in the community? Uh, so it has six chapters that all focus on these different things together and gives you a little system. So it's essentially a workbook. It is not heavy in ritual or spells. I do talk about magic, metaphysics, uh, but it's more a book to really get you thinking and trust yourself and your own intuition again versus, you know, here's how you do it. You know, here's all the stuff. Um, I, I love it. I love it because this is what I've been trying to break people free of whenever, whenever I try to, to teach them or, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, it's nice to have the books. It's nice to have reference, but you have to go with what, what's true to you, what's true to your ancestors, you know, not necessarily go to ancestry.com and say, okay, you know, I'm from here and this is how they did it. No, you have to open yourself up to listen to that. That's I love it, Tempest. So what's the name of it again? Weave the Liminal. Weave the Liminal. And is that one, that one's not out yet, is it? It is not out. um, My editor sent me a picture of it on her desk yesterday. Oh, um, we're so close. I I know. (laughs) And my husband's like, when's it coming? I'm like, I don't know. It's just on Alicia's desk. I don't know if this is just like the proof from the printers or is this the first of the batch? I don't know. But, you know, I think it was, what, somewhere in, in October, Jason, that she sent us a picture of the witch's altar. And then, like, yeah. weeks later, it was shipping, or a week later, it was starting to ship. So, who knows? Um, so, uh, to me, it's a very exciting solstice present, because I, I think it will be ready and shipping in early December, even though both of our books um, are supposed to be out January 8th. But happy Yule to us. It's coming out. I'm sure, Jason, you're going to yeah, get a photo soon if you haven't yet. Yeah, I haven't. She's, like, mad at me, I guess, or something. She's not responding to my emails right now. Now, it's going to be awesome when I, – I know exactly when mine went to press, uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I know when mine went to press. It was, like, the very the very end of October. Yeah, so, so it's about the, could be, about the it same could be a little behind. Yeah. See, but usually Llewellyn's books are, like, done a few weeks sometimes up to a month before they're supposed to officially come out. So we think that they'll both be available by Christmas, even if they're not officially supposed to be so. Yes. 
so, excited. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I kind so of. Right. They, Go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. It's just so cute that they have the same release date, too. Oh, that's awesome. It just, that's it just awesome. Tickles, it tickles me. It's like we're twinsies. Yes. <laughs> I, like, you know, this is me getting, like, really kind of talking about me, which is one of the things that you said in your list of things is don't make it all about you, the, the list that was written. But, but I got to share this story. Is like one of the very first pictures of me as a baby, as a newborn, is me holding a pen. And my parents always said that I would be a writer. And I've always wanted to. I've always had that dream about it. And I get to do that vicariously through both of you. And, and maybe maybe this is enough to, to inspire me. I think you guys are both inspirational, both with with uh, with you know Patheos and and um, with the the books that you write, with the, this podcast, Jason. Um, I I really like having having both of you as as people I know, <laughs> as as leaders, because your common sense and your 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 mystical, you're you're connected with. You each have different strengths, and I think that that's really important to lead pagans, witches, uh, however you identify, you know, into the the next phase of wherever we're going. Is is trying to find, you know, just just be yourself, you know, and and it seemed like when you were talking about the 70s stuff, Tempest, I remember that time and everybody was all like, you have to do this this way and you have to do it that way. And that's what I kind of came up in. But it, like you said, it didn't feel right. And I like what both of you do with saying, okay, yes, this is why you do these things. This is why you wouldn't want to. Because, you know, talking, going back to the book, The Witch's Altar, Jason, when you talk about a pentacle, most people think about the five-pointed star whether it's a pentagram or a pentacle, and then you, you're like, okay, well, if it's two points up, well, that's evil. But if you know the history, it's not always, it's not, it doesn't have to be an evil thing. It's Anton LaVey made it a, a Satanist thing. You know, it wasn't before. Uh, so it, it's important to know why things are the way they are and also to connect with what's your your truth, you know. Definitely. And I like the fact that both of you. Yeah. You have your I own ways of doing. One of, it. Go I ahead. think out of everything that I do, though, what's probably most important to me is not speaking in absolutes, and it's something I think about a lot. There are so many people who say you have to do things this way, or you can only be a witch if you do this, or whatever else. And I think there are many different ways of doing the craft, and there are very many different ways of being a witch. And we all just kind of have to find out what works for us. And I think we're all just trying to muddle through and do the best that we can. So instead of constantly harping on our differences, I always think it's better to just sort of harp on the things that we all have in common with each other and the things that work for us and make us happy. Put put the uh, Put the energy into the positive things. And... Yeah, what what I think is really fantastic about both these books, like I was reading um, Jason's uh, second draft as I was, I was flying somewhere in in May, uh, and the the background he goes into for all of these rituals 
rituals and practices that, you know, I've been reading about, again, from the 70s. It's just really eye-opening. Like, I really want folks to be able to, like, to say, like, you don't read one book. I want you to read all the books. Um, you know, you should read A Witch's Bible by Janet and Stuart Farrar, and you should look at what Gardner wrote and Valiente and all these different people to see what has come before. And there people who are like, well, it's just crap. It's like, we got to see where these things come from and how they've evolved. And Jason's exploration into them is one of the best that I've seen that really explain it to people who might not have a good understanding of what is Gardnerian or British traditional witchcraft. Uh, so I think it's so good to have a whole breadth and to be able to see where things come from and where they're evolving and being able to choose what works and doesn't work for you versus, uh, you know, again, just having one narrow source. Like we are, we are people of the books, right? We're not people of the book. Right. Which is right. What, what, right. Which makes witches and pagans awesome is that we are so diverse and that we can, you know, really evolve and change our past and be have so many things in common, but yet also be different. And that is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And that is a perfect way to wrap this up because that is what this book is. The Witch's Altar, The Craft, Lore, and Magic of Sacred Space, because it's Jason, because it's Tempest, because it's Angus, because it's Lupa, because it's Natalie Zayman, because it's all these different people that, that you know, are amazing putting their their beliefs, their, their spin on this. Uh, when I say spin, it makes it sound like it's not authentic, but their, their experiences and their, and yeah. That's that's an awesome way to wrap this up, Tempest. <laughs> Before we go, is there any any uh, final thoughts that you want to add? We'll we'll start with Jason and then Tempest. It's just been really fun the last couple of weeks because we've done a few things together and we've done this show, this show now, and it was just such a great experience to work with Tempest on the altar book and to collaborate with somebody because I don't think either of us had done that before with a book. So that was great, and I just always learned so much just by hanging out with her and her husband, Nathan, whom I also love and have a crush on. Aww. Aww. Uh, Emma. I'm over Clemps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting more and more connected with you because I felt like I'm the only person who uses for Clemps, and now you're using for Clemps. <laughs> Try right, talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. <laughs> Let's break into a, to full Yiddish right now. It would be great. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm like still see like recovering. Like I was on the road for seven weeks, so I kind of feel bad because Jason's like, "Let's do all this, you know, touring," and I'm like, "Um, I, okay." At the end of the time, I get to California. It's going to be six and a half weeks, and I'm going to be a horse running for the barn. But we did. We had two really awesome. Events and we we've got some things coming up in January uh, here in Seattle too. So um, details will be coming forth. So there'll be be more fun and uh, witchery coming. So uh, it's a shame. I wish you could bring Ari up for that too, because I love. Yeah, Ari. she's gonna be in Denver. She's gonna be in Denver. Who wants to be in? I love Denver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not Ari in January. I know. I live in South Dakota. I can handle Denver in January. That's like Miami. Sure. <laughs> and then we we both have things happening at uh, PantheoCon too, so we'll get up to some hijinks 
There. Oh, and Paganicon. Oh, it's going to be such and a Paganicon. And I'll be at Convocation and several other places next year. It's going to be a busy year. Yep. Cool. Well, one of these days I will cross paths with you guys other than here in the in the podcast verse. Uh, Jason, is, do you have any other final thoughts to wrap things up? I, I gave I did all of my poeticness already. I've got nothing left. Well, there you go. <laughs> buy buy our books. Buy our books, please. Please buy our books. We work really hard on them. Um, the one thing that I go ahead, go ahead, Tempest. I was gonna say maybe it's just you know as we're going into the stress of the holidays and everything going, I remember to be kind to each other. Kind. Yeah. It's rough out there. Listen to each other. Talk to each other. Communicate yes, with each other. Not at each other, but with each other. Yeah. You know, and I was going to do this song, and then I started, you know, to end things, and then I started going elsewhere. Um, I'm going to add one more thing about this this book, is you can't talk about altars without talking about um, about Christianity and, and, where, and, and where there is some connection with altars and Christianity. And I liked how the book handled that. And where am I going with this? Well, you're saying being excellent with each other. There's a lot of people who want to tear us apart, who want to give us different camps. You're in this camp. You're in that camp. And one of my favorite songs to play this time of year is Dar Williams' song, The Christians and the Pagans. And I wanted to end on that, and then I started going towards a different song, but then you guys brought it back to being excellent with each other. So Can we really play I'm gonna that? I'm going to go ahead and play that one. Yeah, I got Dar's Dar Williams. I got her. Uh, I got her permission to play it here on Pagan tonight. So wow, you talked said, hey. to Dar. I'm like, I just get proclaimed around Dar. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ari can tell you get Ari can tell you both stories. It's really funny. I will have to hear that story. I will get. I want to go ahead and wrap it because I know that this is usually you're usually already cooking for Ari and, and doing all sorts of awesome things uh, because when it's usually my show, you've already been gone for like an hour and a half. So I know that you've got, got stuff to do. So I appreciate your time that you gave for this. I appreciate your time as well, Tempest. It was nice to get a chance to chat with you. Um, and I hope I'll, I'll, I'll chat with you some more on Facebook because I have some questions about Nathaniel's uh, music and, and things like that too. So, oh, yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And get their books. Get this book, The Witch's Altar. Get uh, Transformative Witchcraft. And you're going to have to Weaving the Liminal. Is that? Weave the Liminal. Weave the Liminal. It's a command. We really don't make any money from these books. So, I mean, we just want you to have them because we really like writing them. Yes. I hear that. I hear that. And I think it's important uh, to have th- these books as well um, for for us because <laughs> these are good books. Again, The Witch's Altar, The Craft, Lore, and Magic of Sacred Space. Uh, good night. Good night. Thanks again for being on the show. I, I think we'll be back in about two weeks. Again, I'll probably uh, get something with a lot of holiday music for pagans coming up so keep an eye on what I'm doing on on Facebook Uh, check out Dark Rabbit Radio and we'll see what we can do Dar Williams right now Christians in the Pagans on Pagans Tonight Radio Network
called her uncle, said we're up here for the holiday. Jane and I were having solstice, now we need a place to stay. And her Christ-loving uncle watched his wife hang Mary on a tree. You watched his son hang candy canes, all meet with red dye number three. He told us neat this Christmas Eve, I know our life is not just style. She said, Christmas is like solstice, and we miss you, and it's been a while. So the Christians and our begging sat together at the table, finding faith and common ground, the best that they were able. Just before the meal was served, hands were held and prayers were said, sending hope for peace on earth to all their gods and goddesses. The tree plugged in, the meal had gone without a hitch Till Timmy turned to Amber and said Is it true that you're a witch? His mom jumped up and said The pies are burning and she hit the kitchen And it was Jane who spoke She said it's true the cousin's not a Christian But we love trees, we love the snow The friends we have, the world we share And you find magic from your gut And we find magic everywhere so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table, finding faith and common ground, the best that they were raised. Where does magic come from? I think magic's in the learning. Cause now when Christians sit with pagans, only pumpkin pies are burning. Tried to do the dishes Her aunt said really no Don't bother Amber's uncle saw How Amber looked like him And like her father He thought about his brother How they hadn't spoken in a year He thought he'd call him up And say it's Christmas And your daughter's here He thought of father's sons and brothers Saw his own son tug his sleeve Saying can I be a pagan Dad said we'll discuss it When they leave so the Christians and the pagans sat together at the table Finding faith and common ground, the best that they were raised Lighting trees in darkness, learning new ways from the old and Making sense of history and drawing warmth out of the
to do it in a, in a way that I, I love blog talk radio and some things I hate it and others it's not the best way of getting music to you so I'm going to try to find a better way to get some good music to you um, especially for the holidays because I think it's fun I love Christmas I you know I love Christmas and I love music I love Christmas music and I like the fact that we have some good music for us um, I don't think I out uh outro I, I announced the the emerald rose santa claus's pagan two song uh what's really important or special about that song is it was actually number one i think in in the scandinavian countries the emerald rose was popular with that song santa claus's pagan two if you want a good scandinavian santa claus movie to watch i don't know if it's still out I know last Christmas it was out on uh, on maybe Amazon, but it's called Dark Imports. Um, and I think Linda Radish talked about it in her book about Yule. Uh, and it's really weird. <laughs> it's very strange. And it's very Scandinavian. So check that one, Dark Imports, about Santa Claus. Ah, yeah. Well, it's time for me to go. Um, 
I will be back in about two weeks' time here on Pagans Tonight. Thank you so much for listening. And definitely, if you can get this book, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, kissing up, but this really is a good book that Jason and Tempest did uh, with a, with a, a community. And that's what I love about it. It's a, a community written book about something that needs to be demystified and needs to, to, you know, this book was needed. Okay. Enough preaching about the book. Have a great night. See you in two weeks. Don't forget, we have shows pretty much every night of the week here on Pagans Tonight Radio Network. So, uh, you know, this is where Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. 